wife that sibling squabble Look at Liam and Nolo, Kane and Dable Well we ain't got a bandana, don't wanna kill you But we'll sit and chat and argue about cinema reviews Who is right, is it me or him? Well you were always mother's favourite Are you still singing that hymn? Prepare for a battering, it's time for the squabblings Hello and welcome back to the second annual gathering of the James Norrington Appreciation Society. Yes, we call to order the meeting for our love order. of Norrie Boy. Order! 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 order. <laughs> Today on the list, his beautiful tunic. Isn't it magnificent? <laughs> his beautiful Royal Navy tunic. He wears it lovely. And addressing the rumours of where your donations went. Did they actually purchase James Norrington a wet wipe or were they embezzled by the chairman of the board himself, Sir Thomas Smith? <laughs> Uh, well, you see, if I can't turn up to charity events in a helicopter, people aren't going to believe it's a credible charity. So I need that. <laughs> that is part of the business expenses. That's just, that's I need just that written into your contract. That's what it? I. That's what I need, unfortunately. <laughs> and if I can't have an Armani suit, people aren't going to believe that the James Norrington Appreciation Club is a reputable no, charity. Why would they? <laughs> why would they? Well, can't, they can't be expected to believe miracles. No, no, all. of course they they can't with their tiny jack. <laughs> Sparrow loving minds. <laughs> How are you, Tom? Uh, I'm doing okay. Yes, I mean, we are currently sat in the living room of our childhood home, and I'm Thomas is what I like to call three parts lizard, one part, <laughs> and the rest of it human being, because I don't think that you absorb heat <laughs> like no, the I rest don't, of us. I don't think I do. I love dry, hot places, and. <laughs> I don't. The weird thing is, I don't do particularly well in England when it's hot because it's very, it's always very humid. But the fact is, I can happily sit in a room with a fan heater on, so like dry heat, and yes, it, and uh, comfortably sit in a room, and it's probably about thirty-eight degrees Celsius. And, and listeners, just to make you aware, the room that I'm currently being forced to sit in, yeah. It's toasty in here. I mean, any other human being on the planet would say that this is kind of, um, you know, FBI Navy SEAL torture technique, <laughs> making you sit in a room this fucking hot. But this is my com- <laughs> this, this is my comfortable. This is Thomas's ambient temperature. I don't know whether it's an anemic iron, you know, an iron deficiency, or whether it's like the fact that. I'm like 0% body fat or whether it's like, you know, the fact that... Um, that you're just a cold-hearted man with a heart made of steel. Yeah, also that. Or, uh, in fact, it's the preamble to Raynaud's disease. <laughs> yeah. We're all fun and games here at Squabblings. <laughs> Remember, kids, watch out if your fingers turn white. Go see the doctor. <laughs> God if your sake. fingers are always unduly white and cold, go and visit your Raynaud's Awareness Centre today. Jesus Christ. Shall, shall we start? Yes, okay, fine. Uh. Let's move away from Raynaud's, shall we? <laughs> Raynaud's erasures. <laughs> <laughs> Diabetes. It always gets all the spotlight. Let's move away from Raynaud's oh, then. For God's sake. <laughs> <laughs>
So I'm ex- actually very excited to talk about this film. We watched it as a as a as a family last night, and it's of course the follow-up sequel to the smash blockbuster hit Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes, The Curse of the Black Pearl, we should say. It's the follow-up to The Curse of the Black Pearl. Yes, so today on the cards we have Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. It is the second instalment of the Pirates of the Caribbean film franchise, released in 2006. Directed by Gore Bavinsky, written by Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio and produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. In the film, the wedding of Will Turner played by Orlando Bloom, <laughs> our resident robot himself. Armando Bloom. And Elizabeth Swan, Kira Knightley, is interrupted by Lord Cutler Beckett. Who is played by... Tom Hollander. I, I, I quite like Tom Hollander, actually. And I think this is the first role I remember seeing him in. And he's just a classic asshole, isn't he? But he's actually done a number of things where he is the... He's uh, played the archetypal asshole. See, the thing is, I don't like Tom Holland in this film, because, and I, I, w- I will come on to this a little bit later, but uh, I think this film is uh, born and made with the kind of B subplot, which involves Jack Sparrow, played by um, the immortal Johnny Depp, in a bid to try and find the dead man's chest, because he try- he tries to square his debt with... <laughs> Old Davy Drake, Gravy Jones face. As played by Bill Nye. Yeah, so I'd heard about this film that the plot was um, hastily written down on a napkin or something to that effect when they had discovered, well, when the reception was pouring in from the first one and they discovered it had been such a success, they were like, crap. Right, we need-, <laughs> we need to write another one now. Yeah. yeah, I think this film has a very similar origin story to the original Star Wars trilogy. Uh, the success of the first one kind of went above and beyond what the studio were expecting. Mm. So when they signed on the uh, the writers and the producers to make another two, they very then quickly had to come up with a well, where do we take the story now from here? Yeah, exactly. And um, the film opens, doesn't it, with the ruined wedding scene of Elizabeth and Will Turner. Yes. And to be honest, my first thought was, well, what did they expect? <laughs> did, they, did they really expect a smooth marriage? And a smooth- it's, it's not just that. When um, Cutler Beckett and his crew turn up, they're like, on what charge am I being arrested? <laughs> and it's like, well, you let a group of pirates get away on purpose. It's like, of course that was there was going to be a reprisal from the king. The governor of the island just let a bunch of pirates go. And when the, the, the commodore or like his rear admiral or whoever it was in the last <laughs> film was like, sir, we Listeners, should... Listeners, can I just make you aware that Thomas did a thrusting move when he said rear admiral <laughs> well, just then? Well, you are... A teenager. Cue the, cue you? the Navy you jokes. St- you are still mentally about 14, aren't you? Mm, it's the rear admiral on the poop deck hanging out with oh, all the other seamen. Sake. Unlike other film franchises, this second film, it was a decent amount of a time jump forward. It didn't feel like the series was stagnated or we'd picked up exactly where we'd left off. Uh, I felt like there had been a decent amount of time in between the end of the last film and the beginning of this one, unlike, of course, what I'm thinking of, like you know, that the Last Jedi literally picked up at the moment when yeah. Ray's holding out the 
the the, the lightsaber to Luke, for but, example. But it uh, but it still only seems like six months to a year might have passed. Yeah, that's if, probably how long that. it takes to plan a wedding, doesn't it, or whatever. Yes, but you know, I, do, I you are right in that. I don't really know what else they would have expected to happen from the fallout of the last yeah, film. Yeah, well, of course they were, like they were so going surprised to be when the king's yeah. men turned up, and they're like, "Well, we did let a bunch of like really horrible pirates go." I mean, as much as they've had a fun time with the pirates, the fact is, on paper, their reputation is still that they've robbed X number of ships and probably killed a bunch of people. Yeah. And there was a decent amount of jeopardy, I think, from the very start. I mean, you you started off this film thinking, oh my God, has Will jilted Elizabeth at the altar? I think that was what they wanted you to think the first time that you watched it. I actually thought, yes, that when she was like cry- looking sad in the rain, like it's a Kate Bush music video. <laughs> like she's like she's 100% ready to commit to the role of Miss Havisham for yeah. the rest of her life. <laughs> yeah, the, I, th- I thought that he um, had just uh, left her there for some reason. It's like, well, that's not, that's not our man, Will Turner. That's not our man, Will Turner. Will Turner is a stand-up lad. Can I just take a moment to say, you know who wouldn't ever have considered that? <laughs> You know who would never have left Elizabeth you at the altar? You know who would have turned up for his wedding, even though he was technically arrested? James Norrington. James Norrington. James Norrington. <laughs> yeah. He would have. He would because James Norrington is a stand-up man. He 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 is the best of us, and we shall we shall learn this throughout the course of the film that he is the best of us. But he is definitely the best of us. progresses i i I felt like there was of course an introduction of a new danger a new anti-hero a new baddie because you can't you couldn't have the same um antagonist as you could in the last film so cutler beckett cutler beckett yeah it is like with star wars how at the end of number one they had to introduce some sort of new threat like in the form of the Emperor or something, because it was like, well, we kind of dealt with the Death Star. That was the first one, and we didn't really think it through too much, but it's like, oh no! But they hadn't really done that by the end of Curse of the Black Pearl. It was sort of kind of like a, we dealt with Barbosa, we dealt with the Ila de Muerta, the curse was lifted. Ah, we didn't actually set up another big bad because I suppose they thought that the film would just be a standalone project they didn't expect it to be that good yeah and I think maybe it's unsurprising they went with Davy Jones because what is pleasing about the the pirate culture is that they have a lot of um, mythos mythos and and lore and stuff like that don't they to call upon so it was like well I guess Davy Jones is um, an obvious place to go with it but also an exciting (laughs) it was still an exciting place to go with it Yes, and I think that's that's what the pirate mythos g- gives us, this kind of almost kind of like a Greek pantheon of 
characters to pull upon. Um, so we, the Kraken, for example, Davy Jones, uh, Calypso, all of these other quite well-known pirates, they could almost be the Greek myths yeah. but of, of the sea. And um, they, they, they do touch upon this a little bit in the later films, but of course you have you know people like Blackbeard, and the pirate Sal Feng, who was quite a prominently well-known pirate in um, the Middle East. So I think the opportunity to have chosen um, a new big bad was was there. What what I didn't like, though, was how they just sort of ushered the Ila de Muerta and any of the bits from the, the first one sort of out the window quite quickly and without much explanation. Yes, because that was kind of a loose thread that was abandoned very quickly. They just say that the Ila de Muerta was reclaimed by the sea. Mm, and essentially, it's like when you have something hanging over your head, which could still potentially cause trouble because they hadn't wrapped up the loose ends there. It's a symptom of bad writing, that, yeah, I think, I, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was a bit hasty that they just shoehorned it in with some uh, some exposition dump again from, uh, from Gibbs that um, <laughs> it was just reclaimed by the sea. Since the I mean, Ila de Muerta I mean, Can was I just reclaimed. ask how the Ila de Muerta would be reclaimed by the sea? Unless it was a Krakatoa and it just blew up. Hurricane? Yeah, but the hurricane's not going to get rid of the whole island, is it? Or the, or the sea's going to... Ro- the sea rose 30, 40 well, metres. you say this, but uh, apparently uh, for this second film, they had to rebuild lots and lots of their sets because in the period of time in between the first film and the second film, there was a big massive hurricane in the area that they were filming in that completely destroyed like most of their set pieces uh. and destroy I think and um even down to like the costuming, the costuming was left in some studio out in Jamaica somewhere. And all of that was destroyed. And uh, you know, in, you know, when I was researching this film a little bit, they even had to resource tiny little things for continuity purposes. Um and th- right. things like Jack Sparrow's bandana because they hadn't saved it because from it the last because it hadn't been one. saved yeah from the last film and they had to go to some like old nana out in Nepal to get them to make Jack Sparrow's bandana again because they had to get the exact same one because it hadn't been saved from the first I think I mean that's ridiculous isn't it did they really not have that any faith at all in the first film that they they didn't even think of the idea that it might form a sequel well that probably speaks to the fact then that they didn't expect it to do very well or the first one they were expecting one film out of it like a solid mid-range a standalone yeah a standalone film yeah with a decent box office reception but not a smash hit no but in t- but from a writing perspective, I just think it's quite lazy. There were some loose threads there from the end of the other one. To be honest, they could have maybe brought it back in some way, I thought, I'd, rather than just say, oh, well, the Ila de Muerta's done now. Mm. It's forever done. We can never go back there. It's like, oh, well. Yes, but in, in, your, in your writing, when you, take a f- when you take a franchise from a standalone to a trilogy, you have to have some sort of evolution, Again, in Star Wars, that that's how that's the kind of um, the evolution of Darth Vader to the Emperor, uh, or um, introducing new characters like Yoda and Lando and other people like that. And yes, Pirates does do that in the second film as well. I don't think Cutler Beckett was a particularly strong evolutionary big baddie. Mm, it's it's interesting to think that essentially the most powerful mythological people 
you know, these creatures of the sea, like the Kraken and Davy Jones and stuff, mm. to be fair, that they end up just being controlled by the East India Trading by the Company. East India Company. And, and compared to the powerhouse that is Bill Nye as Davy Jones, I, I just thought that Cutler Beckett was a bit flat and a bit dull, a little bit boring, dare I say. I think he's kind of like, a, they thought to themselves, well, they want a Norrington-esque style antagonist but just make him worse just make him bad yeah well i kind of what i actually like about cutler beckett is that he represents the sort of greed of mankind doesn't he i mean he's he's meant to be like you know this new man of science of the 18th century filling in the blank spaces of the map etc etc you know i want to explore each corner of the known universe but what? But he's after like a supernatural compass. I just felt that his motivations were a little bit confused. Well, I suppose as the East India Trading Company grow, they want power and control, don't they? Yeah. But I would have thought that a character like Cutler Beckett wouldn't have had any trough with this kind of sailor's superstition-y shit. Do you know what I mean? I, th- I feel like he would have been a very straight-laced man of the military who has no truck with any of this bullshit that he's heard from two-bit sailors and he just wants to have order by, what any, any, by whatever means necessary. That's the villain that came across to me. But then he said he wanted Jack Sparrow's compass. So we know he's got a past with Jack Sparrow for yeah. some reason. Yeah, and me and you, we had a moment uh, when they were talking about kind of leaving their mark on each other. Yeah, it, it was, it's definitely the cheeky bum sex they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, they, they, Cutler Beckett and Jack Sparrow fucked. Those, those you know, <laughs> Cutler <laughs> Beckett, it's, he was posted out in India, you know, obviously some, <laughs> somewhere out there, Jack Sparrow bringing in his merchant vessel. He brought in the tea and the spices, tea, yes. You know, uh, passing fancy in the local saloon. A hasty night on top know, of the Hessian sacks. And then by morning, other. he was gone. And yeah, and and basically Cutler Beckett is just sore that Jack never sent him a letter that took four months to get there rather than a call. No, I just thought that he was a very confused sort of villain. I think he we never really do get an exploration much into his motivations or goals. He's He just kind of turns up and becomes the new resident asshole. Well, I think if you look at it from a historical perspective, the East India Trading Company are about economic superiority. And yeah. therefore, because they're a trading company, the only way really to trade at that time is merchant sea trade, isn't it? To get yeah. things to go long distance. So his motive is to grow the company. He surely wants to take control of the sea. Which is yeah. why, obviously, he wants the heart of Davy Jones, isn't it? Yes, but I, th- I but some a motivation like that, I thought was very kind of straight laced and kind of based in reality. And yeah. I just don't, I just didn't understand how those two kind of threads of his character meshed together. Because I thought, I, I thought there, I could understand why a character like Jack Sparrow wants the heart of Davy Jones because he's a free spirited pirate and he. He's, um, you know, his heart is in the sea, and he, he's he doesn't necessarily want control or a monopoly. He just wants. I think he just wants Jones off his back. That was the vibe I got from Jack. Was the whole thing was just about him 
getting free of his debt from Davy Jones, personally. Yeah, I... Well, okay, well, going on to Jack then in this um, in this film, I was actually a little bit disappointed with the portrayal of Jack in this film. I, d- I didn't think he was as charming as he was in the first. No, I mean, and I know that Jack is meant to be a bit like a, a moralless pirate but the fact is in the first one he still the thread throughout was basically that eventually he sort of did the right thing anyway yeah like it was cloak and dagger stuff from him it takes him a while to get there but eventually he comes through yeah Yeah. whereas this one it seemed like the intentions were just a bit more kind of well you're an asshole aren't you because we don't and we don't expect any more from you no because for for one thing when he sends will turner over to the Flying Dutchman to be um, shanghaied into the service of Davy Jones. Yeah, it's it's actually at that point like that if they can't come through with anything else, he's just going to have to stay there. So it's just like that he's actually just handed him off. He's literally just sacrificed one of his friends. Yeah, and I thought that that even that was a little bit cruel, even for Jack Sparrow. Yeah, and I know they I know they had the thing at the end where he came back to save the Black Pearl. But but by that point, I just felt that he'd done too much too much in the film. It was too little, too late. Too much of the film had been about self preservation from him for me to really think like, oh, is that actually now a realistic character move for you, Jack? Because you've spent the entire film sort of either trying to save your own skin, for example, telling Will Turner that he can't stab the heart of Davy Jones, or what? What you know the bit where they start to fight because Will wants to stab the heart. Absolutely. And Jack pulls the, a sword on him. The, the three-way fight. A, a more realistic thing there would have been to say, Will, I'm all for you trying to free your father. But, <laughs> but first, I... Let me do this thing. <laughs> I I need to become the, the captain of the, the Dutchman. I need to kill him. And then, and then I'll set your jolly dad free. I mean, that would have literally resolved all parts of the conflict between... Will and that one Jack conversation Sparrow. would have saved it all because it would have been like, "Yes, Will, we can save your father, but before you do that, I need to do this one thing with it." Okay, yeah. that's the whole reason I'm here. No, I feel like the writers didn't quite know what to do with Jack in this film, and I think I think the the the, the problem with Jack for the, the these two films now coming up is that he was the standout character in the first film. But after that, I don't think the writers really had the confidence in the character to know constructively what to do with him. I don't. Yeah, ex- exactly. And in terms of the pacing for the film, I feel like there was a lot of fluff put into it because they were like, we don't really know what they're doing here. Yeah. In terms of the whole first act. Has got pacing issues, certainly. Yeah, because yeah. the whole first act was, a lot of it was just, you know, that whole Cannibal Island sequence. Oh, Jesus Christ. I remember watching that and thinking, bloody hell, is, is this sequence not over yet? It took way too long to get done. Yeah, ex- exactly. So, but uh, I don't uh, know about you as well, but aren't, are you not sick of the trope of the natives want to eat me thing? I've, I've, I've seen that too many times, I think. Yeah, but that, but that is a trope. Because at that time, was it not true? What, that the natives want to eat me. <laughs> well, have you heard of Captain Cook, oh, for example? All right, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, okay, so for people that don't know, J- uh, Captain James Cook 
was actually eaten by natives off the coast of Australia. No, I it wasn't. Think. It was. It, or was it the Cook Islands? It might have been literally was, the Cook Islands or something. Well, he's, like that. Fa- he's famous for discovering all those things, but in fact, I think it was Maui. Oh. I think it was Maui where he 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 went aboard with a no. He went to shore with a with a, a small ambassadorial sort of party. And never came back. And no, but uh, but what <laughs> happened was they were then seen by the men on the ship. The last thing that happened, running towards the shore, been like Sh- shit's going down, and then the natives speared them, and that was the last sighting Jesus of Captain Christ. Cook. Jesus Christ! Yeah, <laughs> oh, God. and then they were eaten. <laughs> and then they just ate them. Fucking hell! Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So whatever he said to them, they must have taken mega offense to it. I mean, interesting. Maybe he isn't said to it? them, "Why have you all got your norks out? You put your norks away, goddammit. Prince Philip, you're still here." Yeah, <laughs> it, it did very slightly go into the slightly racially insensitive uh, zone when Jack is basically just making words up to talk to them. Yeah, but the the weird thing uh, is, Unicky, snip, snip. <laughs> I found I found a lot of the silly improvis- improvisations that Johnny Depp does really funny. Like, like all the, you know, the, uh, the eunuchy snip snip, too sweet and stuff like that. <laughs> too, too and, sweet. and when, um, you know, when he grabs, palage, palage. yeah, palage, palage. Palage. I swear when you look at that stuff, I, I bet you it was just the, the director says to the, the band of, um, natives, natives yeah. that he's like, Johnny Depp's just gonna say whatever he feels like. And whatever he says, it'll be a nonsense word he's made up. Just shout it back to him and pretend it's a <laughs> cat. Commit it's to a it. command. Yeah. So whenever he's just like, Palaka Lake, they're all like, Yeah, Palaka Lake. We love Palaka Lake. <laughs> I would have just preferred if there'd have been some of that more comedy, but not in that big section because. I the- mean, how long did that avenue take? 20 minutes? Because that whole. Half an hour? Yeah, like 35 minutes. And that whole first section is basically about Will trying to find Jack. Yeah. Which could have been done in about 15 minutes it, or it so, I think. It could have been maximum two or three scenes. Because at the moment they they get back on the ship and have the conversation about where they need to free Elizabeth because Cutler Beckett's taken them prisoner. Yeah. That's where we needed to be about 20 minutes ago <laughs> yeah. when that had happened. Cause the that- whole sequence ultimately leads nowhere and contributes nothing to the overall narrative. Yeah, ex- exactly. Because it's like, when when does that ever come back, the Cannibal I- Island sequence? Where does it lead, it apart really from doesn't. just being a bit of fun? And do you know what it doesn't... And, and as I was sitting down watching it last night, I was I was getting really quite bored during that sequence. And yeah, you know, it, it provides a, a nice kind of backdrop for some some nice stunts, you know, with the cages and Jack tied up on the poles, blah, mm. blah, whatever else. But are you, is your pirate film not full of that already? Could you, I mean, come on. I mean, and it ultimately got in the way of introducing the primary villain of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I think we both agreed... That by the time Davy Jones comes on screen, you're almost suffering from a little bit of like fatigue. That yeah. you're like, it's been about Davy Jones. I timed fifty this. minutes or something. I timed this time. Davy Jones does not appear in the film until exactly one hour into it. It's quite a long time to wait for the the title villain of the film, isn't it? The dead man from yeah. in the chest. Oh, I will just say, brilliant little sort of hidden joke that you wouldn't pick up unless you were listening really closely. 
when they're searching for the cannibal island, they say that the the, the dude in Tortuga says he trades spices for delicious long pork. <laughs> I love that. You don't <laughs> you don't get that as a child on the first go no. round, do you? Uh, because lo- pork is 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 meant to be a euphemism for human flesh, isn't it? Because humans are meant to taste like pork. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm I'm no expert, but but apparently, yeah, yeah. human flesh is meant to taste like pork. So when he trades spices for pork, he he believes he's getting pork. That'll that'll be why in in the Hannibal TV series, whenever he invites anyone over for dinner and they have somebody for dinner, when they're like, "Mm, this is delicious. What is this? He says pork. I would say about six times out of 10, there's a little pause and he's like, it's pork. <laughs> it's, it's pork. Yeah. Rumours have it that humans taste like pork meat. Yeah. Ah, long yeah. pork. That's long the slang pork. for it now. Delicious, Delicious long, pork. long pork. I mean, that was a good little nod for the adults. There's another fucking fantastic line that had me howling what? that I definitely would not have picked up the meaning of when I was a kid. No. Yeah. Is this the one that you, that you said it was your favourite joke? Well, my favourite joke was the one um, that was obviously a masturbation joke. It's, yes, yes, yeah. This is the where one they're, they're in Tia Dharma's little hut and they're like, oh, the black spot, the black spot. <laughs> and he just says... potato control, I've got to make amends. Yeah. <laughs> just so you know, my eyesight's as good as ever. <laughs> which is, is obviously a masturbation joke that he's blistered his own palm that badly. He's been at it so long. Actually, on that topic, I really liked how they interpreted the black spot in this in this movie, having having it almost as this like kind of syphilistic abscess on your hand. Because um, well, it, it it was like what else could they do with it? Because well, traditionally, it really is just the, a piece of paper you the, get handed. The black spot historically, yes, was literally just a piece of paper that you were given with a spot on it. Because most pirates couldn't even write their own name, I know, or yeah. they couldn't write the words for. I just feel it's <laughs> we're like, after you, yeah, fucker. It's like um, <laughs> we want to write him a death threat. Yeah, but none of but, us can um, read. <laughs> we're all illiterate fucks. The on- the only the only person who can write. Right, is the captain is, probably is Jenkins, and he got his hand taken off by a cannonball by Cape, <laughs> by Cape Cod by the Americans. What can he write? What can Jenkins hold in his mutilated hand? Just about an ink pen, right? What can he write with the ink pen? A big old black Jenkins, splotch. just just <laughs> just blodge it, Jenkins. And do you know what? We'll just wing it. We'll just say the spot is a death threat. Mm, we'll inherit this into the pirate culture now that it has to be our thing because we're all totally illiterate. I loved it. Like, like actually like figuring out that most people back in history were illiterate fucks. It's a nice kind of realisation. It's a realisation that you have as a history teacher sometimes, realising that most people throughout times were completely illiterate. Well, and that's... I don't mean to get too preachy, but that is probably why the church has uh, persisted for so long, because they were usually the people that held the patronage enough oh. to teach people how to write, wasn't Hello, it? Hello, Richard Dawkins. Nice yeah, well, to see you uh, in here. I, 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 I don't know about you, but uh, I'm quite <laughs> tired of being called strident. It's just the truth, really. Strident my ass. I mean... the but at it's this point, a good Dawkins impression, I yes, must say. Yes, well, uh, uh, at this, uh, well, at this time, I'm afraid that the church was still 
the the main source of literacy where See, they are thomas is what i like to call a a, a rampant atheist and <laughs> uh, strident i believe strident. Is the ter- well, no, i really. wouldn't be surprised at all if you actually go to sleep listening to richard dawkins like poning people on youtube i, bet, oh, I, I definitely bet, do i bet you've got a playlist to that effect haven't you uh, i'm definitely partial to what's called the dawkinator compilation the dawkinator and it is, and it is, it is him poning, <laughs> poning the uh, arguments of various other theists who, you know, their arguments may have well have been, you know, a colander on the sea. It just sank immediately. Do you not find him to be just a little bit belligerent and smarmy, though? No, I don't. In, I think Ugh, people who think Richard Dawkins is belligerent and smarmy just just sort of misunderstand his nature, basically. He's just rude, though, isn't he? No, he's not. He's just factual. Uh, but yeah, but but is he? I mean, I mean, does, doesn't he like to call people morons? Is that true? No, he's, like... no, he's never said anything like that. He's just he's just very manner of fact and succinct with what he does. And the the fact is, it's a subject where people can always get offended by something they don't believe in, isn't it? Because it's like, oh, it's my belief. Well, especially, especially around something as touchy as religion, yeah. But for, for someone like me, I mean, personally, yeah, my, my beliefs probably do fall more on the, the Dawkins end of the spectrum than, you know, the, the you know the you know Pope Benedict the 19th end of the scale. Mm. But um, I, I do still find him to be a little bit um, wanting to cause... I think, I think it's I don't think so. I think it's just the fact that he's a scientist and as a scientist he just believes that in that realm evidence is paramount and to be honest your your feelings are irrelevant. So when people oh, have that, that bullshit Tom, Tom, argument right. that it's like facts ah. don't care about your feelings. You know who you sound like? who yeah. the fuck is that? Um the Jewish man on you you must love him. You'd be the type of person who would eat him up like kibble. Are you talking about Shapiro? Yeah, Ben Shapiro, thank you. Yeah. Facts I, don't care about your feelings, well, Ben Shapiro. I'm I'm partial to some Ben Shapiro. He's a bit intense for me to be honest he's also very conservative isn't he so he would oh he's madly conservative yeah yeah. but dawkins the strange thing is they like people like to pinhole dawkins but i don't think he's that conservative or that strident personally i think the one thing that upsets him that makes him strident is when people go against his life's work which is now irrefutable science which is (laughs) evolution You'd be surprised. There are still some people out there who who still re- will refute evolution. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. So yeah. it's like he gets called strident. But Richard you Dawkins. You met Richard Dawkins, didn't you, during the lockdown? I did. I I met him in Oxford. <laughs> Which for you that would be like me meeting God. I don't know Andrew Lloyd Webber. Well, well, <laughs> well, basically, uh, I was delivering a parcel. He was, I don't know, he was in some, he was in a lecturer's like special accommodation, like guest lecturer's accommodation in Oxford, one of these Oxford University flats. And I saw him and I think he was quite startled because he had the mask and I was like, ooh, are you Richard Dawkins? (laughs) And I think he was quite startled because I I recognised him through the mask, but he was just, I was just like, oh, I'm a big fan of your books. And he was like, oh, yes, well, uh, uh, oh, Thank you. Thank like, you oh, yes, well, oh, that's that's very very oh, kind of you. Oh, well, uh, you know, that's uh, what it's all about. Yes, and, that, <laughs> yeah. Are you Richard Dawkins? Uh, yes, that's, uh, that's me. Yes, yes that's, that's exactly how he responded. He was like, 
Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I guess. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was probably a bit cautious because, you know, when someone says, excuse me, are you Richard? I, he probably thinks I'm about to stab him yeah, being sent from the fatwa. I'm about to egg your house or yeah. I am in love with you, Richard. Please take me as, as your, your, Ex- your latest concubine. Ex- oh, God. <laughs> well, I'd do it. I'd go gay for Dawkins. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> well, but but I think the point of many others like Dawkins and his ilk is that at this time, it's probably not an irrefutable point, to be fair, but it is a probably, it's got a lot of evidence that the church at this time would have held a lot of the patronage of, te- of teaching people how to write. Oh, so yeah, the pirate, certainly, yeah. So the pirates in the main, apart from people in the church and stuff. Most people are illiterate, aren't they? Unfortunately, yeah, and cer- cer- certainly from you know most pirates are from working class back were from working class backgrounds, and mm. in that lifestyle, reading and writing were mostly useless to you because it's such a hard life. What I fail to understand is they romanticise it in the films, obviously, but the fact is. I think it's a life that almost nobody chose by... Yeah, would would have chosen as their first option. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because I, th- I feel like most pirates, or even sailors at this point... They're like pushed into it, aren't they're, they? They're probably people who are desperate, pe- mm. people who have like labour jobs and stuff yeah, on who, land. Yeah, who go into it because of the results of extreme poverty. Yeah, it's like there's there's zero work. It's like my... Or it's like, you know, like 16, 18-year-old boys. It's like... My yep. family now, they're so dirt poor and they can't afford to keep me anymore. And now that I'm like 16, I'm going to go and make my way and try and do something. It's like, yeah. oh, well, you know, I could yeah, always join a, sh- a merchant navy it, ship or especially something. Especially if you had ambitions to go somewhere that wasn't just Bristol and the surrounding countryside. You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. If you didn't want to just be a farmhand, but you, you were probably dirt poor if, and starving if, anyway. If you wanted to see the world in any capacity and you weren't a rich boy... Yeah, exactly. That was your only option. Yeah, I reckon it was on the one hand a desperate existence, obviously living on like ships' biscuits and weevils and stuff. And this is the thing: they don't really um, portray scurvy (laughs) at all in any of these films, do they? No, no one gets seasick, or like, or like you know, just like trench foot. The fact that probably their feet are like wet all the time and stuff like that. And even, or or even, I mean, we mentioned this very briefly because I was looking through the film trivia for this film, even sort of diseases that would have been very common at that time and tre- tre- completely treatable nowadays, but would have been, sailors would have been riddled with at that point in time. I think Johnny Depp and his makeup department had a bit of an on-running joke throughout the films. Oh, of, about his syphilis. About, yes. Yeah, so Jack Sparrow apparently has got signs of syphilis <laughs> because um, the, he has... On a, his he's got, right on, cheek, on he's his got right a red cheek. mark, isn't Yes, he? and it progressively gets bigger and bigger as the films progress. Yeah. Um, and that apparently was, yeah, like an on-running joke Johnny Depp had with his makeup artist because that is one of the symptoms of syphilis. <laughs> And it just gets bigger and bigger. But but then he's like coming on to Elizabeth Swan. So it's like, he's yeah, get, get away from me, you riddle pox. And another, and another thing, especially with the thing that it, they're always in storms and stuff. They have all these like shots where everyone looks dead sexy in the rain and stuff. Oh, we're hard pirates. It's raining hard at night and we're looking out Bloody into the sea. Bloody hell, how uncomfortable would that have been? I know, been? not just to film, but in real life, it's just like... Why has nobody got an overcoat on or something? 
where it or the, or they're clambering to get out of the rain every so often. It's yeah, certainly a very grim existence, isn't it? And then you would have had to have shared your living quarters with fifty other people. Because you know when Will Turner goes over to the Dutchman, every shot he's in after that, he looks wet. So it's like he must have spent like a solid week or two. Constantly wet. Yeah. It's like that's got to do something to your health, isn't it? Speaking of um, wet things. Now, we touched on him already briefly. Yeah. But I'm going to make a statement here, Tom. Mm. And you can give me a score out of 10 with how much you agree or disagree with this. Mm. Davy Jones is the best thing about this whole franchise. I I like his energy, personally. <laughs> For me, yes. I like the one thing I like about Davy Jones is the cadencing of his voice. Yeah, yes. You know, what, <laughs> yes. you know what I mean? How he has the very rhythmic tone to his voice, and he says things in a in a particular that's just, way. That's just Bill Nye, though, isn't it? I'm thinking of other films he's been in. I know, but it's like he dialed it up to 2000. Yes, yeah, it's Bill Nye 2000, isn't it? And uh, the, yeah, it's just something about the way he phrases things that com- catches me completely off guard and just. You are neither dead nor dying. Yeah. What is your purpose? Putting syllables in words that don't exist. I like, know it's purpose the... doesn't have three syllables, Pur- but he purpose. Purpose. That that percussive sound as well. Like feel free to go ashore, Mister Turner. The very <laughs> next time we make port. It's so it's, <laughs> I just love it's his delivery magical. of every line. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I can't think of somebody else who even remotely speaks like that if you did an impression of that at like a dinner party of like what character is this you'd know who it is i think you'd probably be able to know that was davy jones wouldn't you yeah captain jack sparrow (laughs) yeah what i like that was an interesting piece of trivia was that the director and you know the producers and stuff they apparently wanted Davy Jones to be Dutch. Oh, really? Because because the the Flying Dutchman, the yeah, name of the obviously, ship. Yeah, obviously. But Bill Nye, he just he couldn't do Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> he just couldn't do it. He just didn't. He just couldn't do it. So he ended up going with Scottish. Oh, so he just was like, right, we'll just do Scottish. Because isn't the because the Flying Scotsman is another ship, isn't it? I think that the Flying Scotsman was another pirate thing. Yeah. yeah. So he just was like, well, I can't do Dutch. And, and Davy Jones would have sounded ridiculous. If it... Well, Mr. Turner, come oh. in. Oh, Come on over to Spurple. <laughs> Hello, my beauties. <laughs> you know that, that scene where Someone he first appears. Kraken, Mr. Turner. Oh. And, in, and instead, of, instead of a pipe, you know that scene where he's face to face, the first scene with the guys, and he's all like, do you fear death? Do and you fear death? Do you, hello, do you fear death, my man? And instead, <laughs> instead of a pipe, he's just got he's just got a hunk of um, Emmental cheese. <laughs> hello, and he's just eating Emmental cheese. Are you lactose intolerant? <laughs> I know, one of his Scottish there. I don't know. I can't do Dutch. There are some accents that sound scary. There, there are some that don't. Yeah. When you go to the Netherlands and you speak to a Dutch person, they just feel so warm and inviting. They got a, they got a nice bouncy thing going on with their accent. Hello, spoople. It's just, it, it, it can't. It, it, for me, it's just never been threatening. So maybe it was actually a blessing in disguise. Yes, I think, I think, I think ultimately that was a, a good decision of Bill Nye to, 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 to own it and say, no, I can't do this accent. Let's just do something else. But apparently. 
Davy Jones and his crew, so Bill Nye and his crew, they were all in um, uh, grey suits now I can, for the whole of the filming. I can actually believe that because obviously it's like they're horrific fishmen, but um, <laughs> <laughs> just, just horrific. Oh, by the way, there's nothing that makes me more uncomfortable than, than what I call sea shit. Sea shit. Yeah, so you know, shit. you know, like c- mussels and cockles and oh, really? um, yeah, things like that. Why? Like sea anemones and seaweed and I, I hate it. There's just something about it. So people will know, but people that know me very well, they'll know that my number one thing that I'm most scared of in this world is crabs. What? I hate I'm your, crabs. I'm your brother. I've never heard that. <laughs> no, you're partially responsible for why I hate crabs. Why? Because do you remember when we went to St Andrews? And you emptied up my crab bucket at the end of the day, and a crab went up my skirt. No, 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 no that didn't. No, I, yeah, it's great. I he's will gonna, go to my grave he's saying that didn't complete happen. ignorance now. I'm saying, I never did that. I remember it like it was yesterday. I, we went crabbing off the pier of St Andrews. I had caught a bucket oh, of crabs. Ah, I rem- do you mean is that the? You mean not recently when we went? Oh to no, St- years ago. Like about 2009. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then a crab, when it was like trying to scuttle away to freedom, you hadn't told me that you'd up, uh, upended my bucket of crabs and, and a crab went up my skirt. It was only a crab, isn't it? It was fucking awful and it was horrible and slippy and slimy and I could feel the, the fucking legs all over me and I panicked so much, ladies and gentlemen, I had my legs dangling over the side of the pier. I remember a shoe went shoe, in the marina. Yes, my shoe just flung itself off my foot because I was in such a panic to get up and get away from this crab. And I never got it back. And that, that shoe is now somewhere, somewhere in the at, North Atlantic. Yeah, some, so chilling with the people who work on the oil rigs off the coast Maybe of Maybe a Aberdeen. crab made a home out of it. Oh, I, I reckon they did in the bo- in the bottom of the St Andrews Marina. Ugh, that, that, that's why I hate sea shit because I don't like crabs. I don't like like those kind of slippy, slimy. You know, like when when the tide goes out and you've got like rock faces yeah, know, left of things the fact, like the fact that. Is, like if you were scuba diving and the water was there, it wouldn't bother you, would it? Or it wouldn't bother me. I'm not bothered by oh, no, it. it would, no, I think even then it would bother me because I I hate the the texture of mm. that kind of stuff seaweed in particular i hate it's just a bit slimy yeah i hate slimy stuff like that I, See, I feel that way but about jungle creepy crawlies oh yeah that too yeah but i, I don't could, i don't feel do that. that way about sea things because sea, yeah no my, yeah but but no sea shit is my <laughs> my personal your nightmare big grievance. so i really thought that the davy jones's crew f- scratched that horror itch very well they made me very, very uncomfortable, especially the people whose faces were like crusted in barnacles. And- oh, I know, and and the barnacles like reacted accordingly to the emotions. Like if it was surprise, the barnacles would suddenly would open, yeah, sh- like clasp shut and stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, I thought actually, they, and apparently Tim Burton contributed several designs. You said, didn't uh, he? Yeah, yeah, he did. People. Yes, he 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 uh, designed several of the fish people. Can so, I just ask you? Do you think? <laughs> you know, I said they just look horrific. Yeah. Do you think like when they have the fish people social do on board, that they they like get ready in the mirror, and they're just like 
How do I look, Jenkins? <laughs> Horrific. Yeah, that's an improvement. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's really great. Oh, I was nightmarish last yeah, week. <laughs> yes, yesterday, you know, when I had that haircut, you said I looked abominable. So it's, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a good improvement. Horrific. That. Slightly yeah. better. I liked, no, I, I did think that the concept of having you turn more and more of the sea the longer you spend on the Dutchman is actually a very interesting uh, interesting concept because of course the newest member of the crew bar Will is uh, Bootstrap and he's more right. recognisably human than the rest of them isn't he? Yeah. And um well, he was the only uh, the um, Stellan Skarsgård is the only actor of Davy Jones's crew who was put in makeup and prosthetics, which I think is a pretty short straw on that production, isn't it? Because if you consider that everyone else was in a, a motion capture grey suit, mm. and then all the other leading characters, they've got relatively simple costumes and stuff. Yeah, he's, and you've got he, to act and then around him. He's just like Stellan. We're sorry, but your role, actually, you're going to have to come in four hours earlier than everyone every day. You're going to have to be here at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, to sit in the makeup chair. And then, unfortunately, they'll also be two and a half hours removing it every night as well. So, um, (laughs) Yeah, poor dude. Yeah, Stellan, we'll get you a a bottle of Prosecco. Don't worry, Stellan, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. No, but I did did think that the the, the creative minds that came up with those crew members uh, was was insanely good. And David Jones himself. Himself is an iconic looking villain, isn't he? Without the, his his um octopus face, I actually love it. I was yeah. I was thinking actually, in some weird alternate universe, Rick Wakeman could have played <laughs> Davy Jones <laughs> for some weird, yes. like, weird. For those of you who are, who don't know, Rick Wakeman is a very famous keyboard player who's just famous for being a keyboard virtuoso, but. For some reason... Oh, hang on. Am I getting confused? Yes. I'm. Do you know who I'm thinking of, Tom? Who? Roy Wood. No, no. <laughs> oh, God. Roy Wood. I, I of don't, wizard fame. Roy, Roy Wood should just stay away from instruments when altogether. When the snowman brings the snow, do you fear death or you just might oh, like God. to know you are neither dead nor dying. We're in a great big it's, genu- it's genuinely awful. I, Wizard are genuinely one of the worst bands I've ever heard in my life. That's a good banger, though, that Christmas song. Yeah, they got one Christmas hit. But bit of music trivia. You know who was um, in Wizard for a while? Who? Or who was very connected to Wizard? Who? was um, Jeff Lynne. Of ELO? Of ELO fame, oh, yeah. Oh, I can kind of hear the similarities So I don't know what happened, there. whether he just kind of went, this is shit, and then... <laughs> <laughs> Went and started his Noped own thing. his way out of there. Yeah. Or I don't know whether it was he that, that he produced Wizard or something like that in the early days. Well, see, but... the thing is, Davy Jones has that... Hang that... on, I need to justify my Rick Wakeman joke. Oh, yes, of joke. course. Yes, I yes. need to justify my Rick Wakeman gag. Go ahead, gag, go ahead. The floor which, is yours, sir. Which, which is that for, for some reason, there's this scene which just took me out of it a little bit when it's like yeah it's it's a nice bit for to show off Hans Zimmer and his music but it, it just cuts to Davy Jones oh you're not going to talk about the, the organ scene he's got a massive pipe organ I in his cabin I love that scene yeah. oh, oh I, I thought that was one of the best scenes in the, it's sh- in cool the film it's cool and gothic but it's like why is the cap it didn't make sense to me why is the captain of a ship an organ virtuoso because <laughs> if he was that good at organ 
he'd be doing the organ virtuoso circuit. He'd be earning money as a musician. He'd be on the cruise ships. <gasps> he'd be doing Disney cruises. Yeah, there's there's that there's <laughs> there's the fact that uh, Davy Jones can't set foot on land, so he'd have to do his shows at sea. You know, he'd he? have to be a cruise musician. Ladies he? and gentlemen, PNO presents Davy Jones. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We're up for a cracking time tonight. <laughs> oh, fuck off. Yeah. That's one of the worst <laughs> jokes ever. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Here's a calypso for calypso. Dunga, 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 dunga. Get out. <laughs> Just remember to tip your weight stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Dinga, 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 dinga. You should not be allowed the English language <laughs> with those jokes. Uh, that, that was a solid joke. <laughs> God. Then it's like, you yeah. know, he's be, always been asked by the bar staff, you know, Davey, can you make an announcement about the buffet? <laughs> Leave me alone. I just want to play my sad organ. <laughs> I just want to play my ode to Calypso. <laughs> like, D- Davey, God. we've had a few complaints about the somber requiems. They want you to play we more want- Ed Sheeran. They want you to... <laughs> They want you to play more easygoing pop hits. No, I want to play my 18th century organ music. My requiem. <laughs> I want to play my requiems, okay? We are gathered here today to mourn the loss of one of the greatest assets to the Royal Navy, James Norrington's wig. The wig will be missed by many, and like his beautiful petticoat, to know the wig was to love the wig. I didn't particularly care for his wig. Jenkins, deal with him. Hi, sir. And let's grow our booty boys. Off to your duty, boys. Disney franchises must grow. We'll cry and we'll clap and bid farewell to Jack. And let's grow our booty boys. Grow. Jack and the Pearl sailed into the sunset and grow. Our booty boys grow. But now he returns with a much larger budget and grow. Our booty boys grow. And let's grow our booty boys. Off to your duty boys. Disney franchises must grow. Strikes back and grow, our booty boys grow. But damn, our boy Nori looks tasty like a snack and grow, our booty boys grow. And let's grow, our booty boys. Off to your duty boys, Disney franchises must grow. We'll cry and we'll clap and bid farewell to Jack. And let's grow, our booty boys grow. Love, don't make me crack and food. Why am I attracted to an octopus dude? Hundred years at the mast with Davy Doesn't seem all that bad when he's played by Bill Nye Drop the mainsail, I feel money blow on the breeze Let us hope that they don't fuck it up on film free And let's grow! Just a prop in a costume and 
grow our booty boys grow and let's grow our booty boys off to your duty boys disney franchises must grow we'll cry and we'll clap and it farewell to jack and let's grow our booty boys grow the black spot on my palm and grow Our booty boys grow And we'll stick by our pirates Through stormy seas and calm and grow Our booty boys grow And let's grow Our booty boys Off to your duty boys Disney franchises must grow We'll cry and we'll clap And bid farewell to Jack And let's grow Our booty boys grow And let's grow Our booty boys Off to your duty boys Disney franchises must grow We'll cry and we'll clap And bid farewell to Jack And let's grow Our booty boys Norrington's a cutie boy Grow Our booty boys grow Royal Navy Musketeers present arms for a salute of the wig. First rank, fire. Second rank, fire. Third rank, fire. I wondered why I felt the little niggle of, um, oh, Charlotte, I think you might have a crush on this character now. Because he's quite literally every other character I've ever been, I've ever had a, a crush on. He's disfigured, he's haunted, he plays the organ, he's lovesick and he's bad-tempered. Thomas, fill it in for me. What was, What is and always will be my number one crush? Oh, it's the Phantom of the, the Opera, Phantom isn't it? The Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Is, like, yes you, see, no? you see Phantom in every man. I, I see Phantom in every man. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. drawing the comparison between him and Davy Jones. Yes. Yes, Davy Jones is the Phantom of the Sea. No one can convince me otherwise. He's, he's so misunderstood. And he's, oh, he plays the I organ. I could change him. <laughs> yeah. Do Do you think like when they approach the cabin, they're like, "Oh, we need to speak to the captain," and the guards like, "No, no, he's in the zone. He's he's he's, he's in he's in Act Two of he's, the Requiem. He's, ja- he's jamming out a fat Requiem storm in there. <laughs> but it's like, oh God." We, we worked so hard to carry this ship. We had to put up extra sails just to account for the weight of his damn pipe or- <laughs> of his damn three-ton pipe organ that he's got in there. No, the pipe organ scene, I think, is the best, one of the best scenes in that film. It's, it's enjoyable. so atmospheric. It's, yes, it's really enjoyable. And it adds a much-needed measure of depth to... A antagonist of that film. Cutler Beckett doesn't have any depth. He's just asshole number yeah, 300. That's, that's the one thing about Cutler Beckett. There's no kind of like human motivation or a little no, bit exactly. of backstory. But with David Jones, that scene, it adds that, that dimension that he's, he, he, he's human and he feels a little bit, you know, for Calypso. And that's why he's always a cranky bastard. Yeah. I think this film... Its strengths were in its villains, not in its protagonists. Can I just talk about a musical paradox you often get in film for a while? Oh, yeah. Which is whenever somebody in a film picks up an instrument yes. and they're, they're playing, and you know in the film that they're not like a virtuoso. They're not actually playing it, yeah. No, well, no, it's, it's not that. It's the fact that you know the character isn't like an absolute virtuoso. They're meant to just be messing around. Like when Captain Von Trapp picks up yes, the guitar. The guitar. And, yeah. and then he's like, oh, I'm just going to jangle a bit of guitar now. And then... Yeah. Strum, out comes the sound of a session musician. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, oh, wow, it's Captain Von Trapp. You should have moved to LA, Captain Von Trapp, and done the circuit. (laughs) 
So Davy Jones suffered from that a little bit too, did he? You, I think he, he was. Takes, ob- it was obviously like the, you know St Paul's Cathedral's resident was, piano uh, yeah, organ player. It was. It was obviously like a virtuoso Hans Zimmer had flown in. Yeah. And sometimes that takes me out of it a bit, where it's not. Um, yeah, but it's I think not. That's very specific to you and your ilk of like professional musicians who'd be able to tell that it's a virtuoso. I understand that they want the quality of music to be good throughout the entire film. Like it's better having somebody who can play, who can who over who somebody who can't. But I would sometimes like to see somebody of just a mid level of music do a bit of playing because it just seems a bit unbelievable sometimes when it's like, oh, I'm just going to have a jingle. Yeah, okay, yeah. Out comes an organ virtuoso and they're like, fucking check out my chops. Would it kill them to have somebody who's of middling ability? Yeah. Yeah. Just tone it down a bit for that one scene. So the the point I was going to make is that this film, its strengths lie with its villains. Like... Davy Jones and um, of course the, Barbosa the, was a strong villain in the last film it, wasn't yeah. he uh, this film I thought that the main protagonists were a bit lacking Orlando Bloom sort of comes into his own a little bit in this film I think he's a bit more confident in in the character he's not as wooden as he was in the last film yeah that pug has spent six weeks at puppy training school <laughs> yeah of course the return of our, of our baby yeah James Norrington James Norrington oh I love it I reckon it was a joke with James Norrington that he just had to look progressively shitter in every scene. <laughs> and yet somehow got even sexier the shitter he looked. <laughs> and here at the James Norrington Appreciation Club, I want to point out what I call the Norrington XY paradox. And that is and that is the more bedraggled <laughs> the, the, he comes. The diagram. The more the more beautiful he becomes. You know, he he, he gets rid of the white wig. Can I just think, why did they ever think those wigs were were impressive or sexy? It's like, why did people covet them so much? I think it's because wig wearing was something that had been traditionally done by the aristocracy for many years by that point in time. So at that point in history, wig distinguished position. Right. Yeah, you see what I mean? So the loss of a wig or the degradation of a wig showed a fall from grace. Uh, well, yeah, I suppose, yeah. It's interesting to me to look at how they wore those things even in the most ungodly, unpractical situations. Yeah. Like how, for example, if you were an infantryman in the middle of India, you still wore your bright red, thick cotton jacket, even though it wasn't, you know, it was roasting your, hot. Because it's your uniform, yeah. And yeah, your or, uniform is more than just the thing you put on your or body. Or like, you know, the, the, the officer sailors, they wore the wig when it's dead humid. And it's yeah. like, it's not, it's not practical warfare. It was about a display of wealth. It's about a display of wealth and rank and position. Yeah. Even on the international stage where it's like, oh, well, we've got to show the Prussians who we're fighting that, you know, our jackets are nice and red because they're really fucking hard to produce and and we're wealthy. And this is the the detail that they went through with James Norrington's character that he's still wearing his fucked matted wig <laughs> trying to <laughs> cling I, on I, to yeah. that last shred of dignity <laughs> that know, he's got. He's covered in pig shit, but he still has his wig. <laughs> he's still got the wig. Yeah. For Christ's sake, just read my notes on this. This I've just put here. 
beautiful man. Beautiful, beautiful man. Yeah. <laughs> what great. a beautiful human. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I thought that Norrington's character went through a good character arc in this film because he's suffered a fall from grace and he was still recognisably Norrington uh, but his character was on a different trajectory. Mm. He was, it was, and oh, it, there was such a beautiful moment of sadness that I had for Norrington mm. um, when he's on ship with Elizabeth and Jack Sparrow, and he can see Elizabeth getting the hots for Jack. Yeah, and then when he says, "Oh, there was a time when I would have given anything for you to look at me like that." Yeah, and he says it like it doesn't mean anything, and he's saying it as like a sort of off the cuff joke, but it's so telling. Yeah, but it, but it obviously cuts deep, doesn't it? It cuts deep. The thing with Norrington, if anyone was going to be an asshole in this film, he's probably the person with the most cause to be an asshole. Yes, exactly. Because yeah, he's lost a lot. See, that was my fear. I thought they were going to make James Norrington the embittered villain really yes i thought that was the route that they were going to go down see i i think they they kept away from that because at the core norrington spent the entirety of the first film actually being an honorable man for the most part didn't he yes well even though he was a stiff upper lip officer he he was he was honorable wasn't he this is the thing i thought that in this film norrington was going to come to the realization of well being honorable doesn't get you anywhere i tried that and look where it got me last time Mm. It's, but it's, it's weird, though, after going through that entire adventure with, like, the realisation that there are, like, weird fish people in the sea and, and, <laughs> and, and, like, there's a supernatural side to the Navy, that all he wants to do is is crawl back to his post as a Commodore. Mm. I'd, I'd have been like, well, my because mind has what, expanded a bit well, now. Do I want to go back to the same life? I because that's where he last felt safe. That's where he last felt like he mattered. Yeah. The fact, the fact is, he was a man of high station, wasn't he? And it's it's a lot to lose, I guess. But he, he, I feel like his writing suffered a little bit in this film because he was a bit less witty quip college and a bit more sort of, you know, heated comeback comprehensive. There weren't, <laughs> as, yeah, there weren't as many comebacks where I was just like, bravo, James, bravo. Because in, in yeah. the first one, there were moments where I just had to stand up and be like, bravo, James, bravo, yeah. bravo. Yeah, he had less of the one-line zingers in this, didn't he? Yeah. The one thing I respect was how Jack Sparrow always in every film says, still rooting for you, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off, Jack. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Shall we go on to the Coscas? Yes, indeed. It's time for the Coscas. Who's the best? And who's the worst? The Academy don't know shit. We shall decide. So who are you going to do for your best in film? I think as a kind of a dark horse in this film. I don't think there are many films that I've seen where I haven't enjoyed Stellan Skarsgård. He's he's a bit of a powerhouse, isn't he? He's a Scandinavian powerhouse. And I think he's all, whatever he does, he's always very believable in whatever type of role he does. To me, he he may not have had the most lines in the film or had the biggest story arc, but he he always had 
my attention when he was on screen that that he was did he that I, he was a bedraggled sailor who was slightly losing it a little bit see I, because i thought that he kind of lacked presence overall and i thought he saw this as like an easy paycheck sort of thing really? and i got i got the i i just got the note from him that he was tired i think that's part of the character though that he is worn out by life isn't he yeah yeah but <laughs> I don't know. I just don't think that he packed enough oomph to be the best in film for this. Fair enough. I think, for me, I want to go with an unobvious choice to highlight somebody. So I think Stellan Skarsgård was good as one of the supporting cast. So he's going to be... Oh, so he's going to be your best supporting. Yes, he will probably then be actually relegated on second thought. We've had a revision here at Squadlings. We've had a revision. We've had... This is the revised edition 2.0. We're doing it live! We're doing it live. We're doing it live. Fucking hell. We're doing it live. Right. So, the revision. The revision, yes. I'm going to go... So, Charlotte, we will be discussing the best supporting first. Okay. (laughs) You motherfucker. Motherfucker. So, so best supporting is Stellan Skarsgård. For the following reasons, which I have aforementioned. Your turn. My best supporting is and always will go to Jack Davenport as the uh, fallen from grace hero. Oh, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) I've betrayed my friends at the Norrington Appreciation Society. Yeah, we're going to be asking you to step down uh, with a a resignation letter within the next two weeks. this This is my equivalent of one of those charity figurehead becomes disgraced headlines. You know, like like Jimmy Savile on the front cover. Found or, spending his money yeah. on a trip to Barbados. There's a, pi- there's a picture of me on the Sunday Times holding my hand out to stop the paparazzi <laughs> being like, Tom Tom Smith picks Stellan Skarsgård, no, he's not our man now. Norrington. He, he's jumped ship to the Scandinavians. <laughs> yeah. He's mutinied. He's uh, he's he's oh, he's disgraced us all here at the here at the James Norrington Appreciation Society. The, the thing is, I love Norrington, but there was a bit of a waste with his plotline. So he could have featured more in the film for me, considering he was such a prominent character in the first one. He could have featured more in this one, which is why I can't give it to him because I just don't feel like there was enough of him in it. I wanted more Norrington. There you go. That's my redemption. We, always we want, will always want we more want Norrington. More, more Norrington. Give me more Norrington, please. Yeah. So what about your best in film? Okay, so I think my best in film has to go to Davy Jones because he's just so unique. Bill Nye as Davy Jones. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. And But there's this trouble with Bill Nye that you just know it's Bill Nye all the time, don't you? <laughs> yes, that you, you, you know it's Bill Nye trying to... giving 130%, yeah. It's like in Love Actually, it's just like some weird alternate universe for me where... Where Bill, Bill Nye, Nye was a rock star. Where it's not a character, <laughs> it's just Bill Nye is a rock star yep. for some reason. And then in The, the Boat That Rocked, it's another alternate yes. weird universe yep. where for some reason Bill Nye loves pirate radio... And then, <laughs> and then there's it's about time where for some reason it's Bill Nye as a wholesome loving dad, and it's always just like it's just Bill Nye being Bill Nye. And yeah, I'm you, just like, what? I, I I know what you mean by that. Yeah, you're very like hyper aware that it's Bill Nye playing a character. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's almost not a character, but I don't know whether it's because of the CGI that it it hides a lot of the Nye. But <laughs> the but... CGI hides the Nye. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my poem about Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. In the dead of Nye, we see Bill Nye, and the CGI hides the Nye from the seeing eye. And here we know another example of why you should not be given the English language. <laughs> <laughs> For Christ's sake. A dead, in the dead of Nye, aboard the fly, 
In Dutchman. Fly in Dutch. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Eminem. Yeah, Eminem's on the phone for you. He wants his rhymes back. <laughs> yeah, I'm next week I'll be replacing Bernie. I'm being flown into Elton's pad to replace Torpin for oh, the Christ for sake. the next album. So uh yeah. So the CGI for me hides enough of the nigh that Davy Jones is believable. And I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. And I think if if he'd if he'd been in full makeup like Stellan Skarsgard had had been I don't think we would have got the same performance. No. No. Because in the third one, that weird moment where Calypso turns him into a human for a second, I'm almost just like, oh, I'm glad that there wasn't too much of that. It wasn't that, yeah. Yeah, because it's like, oh, well, it's Bill Nye and it's like... He's just a dude, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what about your worst in film? In a strange way, I feel like... He wasn't too far removed, but I feel like Jack Sparrow almost wasn't the same character from the first one. I see. I've gone down a similar route here and I've chosen Kira Knightley. The problem with Kira Knightley is I know that they were starting to explore that realm of at this time in the world that, you know, um, women can do shit. So she's the strong female lead. Women can do shit. Women can do shit. (laughs) They're obviously trying to have a strong female protagonist. Because this film is a bit of a sausage fest, isn't it? Yeah, it is. There's two female characters in the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, there wasn't enough meat on the bones in the Elizabeth storyline, I felt, to be like, well, she's got enough there. Yeah, because for most of the film, she was literally just there. (laughs) I feel like over all of the Pirates of the Caribbean, it should have been more that she was the protagonist. Yeah, because she is the person that changes the most over the arc of the three films. I mean, the the film where Elizabeth really finds her voice is film three. Yeah, where she becomes a badass, like, fighting pirate. Yeah, and I think in this film, there wasn't enough of her to give her that 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 sustained character growth i feel it comes way too quickly in film three because i think it speaks reams about it that even though in first one she's the main character so to say Mm. that johnny depp is the face of the franchise yeah she sort of for better or worse she's she's the everyman she's the luke skywalker she's fighting for the limelight but Mm. she gets sidelined by the fact that johnny depp is the fan favorite and that could have been as simple as just tweaking the writing a little bit to make him a bit more of a background character albeit a lovable background character and it been her story a bit more mm. i just feel like that's where they could have gone with it yeah the scene that really highlights the point i'm trying to make here is during that fantastic three-way fight between norrington and will and jack sparrow yeah she's literally just stood in the background screaming at them like do something. She does have quite a cool fight at the same time though with Poppet and Pit with Poppet and Mackenzie Crook. Poppet and Mackenzie Crook. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how we're referring to them now? Just yeah. as Poppet and Mackenzie Crook. It's Pintel and Rigetti. Pintel and Rigetti. But yeah. I don't remember the actors' names, so it's Poppet and Crook. So it's Pe- it's Poppet and Mackenzie Crook. Yeah, yeah. it's Poppet and Crook. Yeah. So. <laughs> And I thought that would that, that Poppet and Crook is the new posh designer homeware catalogue yes. that yummy mummies who live in Chelsea Welcome shop at. Welcome to Poppet and Crook, Poppet and where Crook. you can buy my handmade enamel galvanised is cream. Yeah, you can buy <laughs> Everything my are accents of cream. This agar is cream. Oh, I made it for fifty p, but I'm going to charge you two hundred pounds for it. Just for the privilege of the label, Poppet and Crook. This felt fox is cream. Yes, it's in fact 
polyester cream fox, <laughs> but it is now three thousand pound. All of your bed fox. sheets are cream. <laughs> <laughs> Poppet and Crook. Yeah. Come In this fact, way. Poppet and Crook were the first people to perpetuate the myth for the Karens out there that cream makes a, loom, a room look larger. Because they put they put it in their, their manual, that you know, their catalogue, just so they could sell more stuff. Don't you know cream makes a, lo- a room look larger? Therefore, yeah. everybody wants it to make their house look more big and wealthy. I mean, those two as well, those characters are people that kind of were fallen, fell by the wayside. Yeah, but they were only of a comic relief, and I'm fine with them doing that, yeah, because it's like they got rid of the two yeah, British because, soldiers. Because, yeah, because we never um, really had high expectations for them anyway. But the character that was so central to the original story, as Elizabeth Swan was, she just didn't really, she just didn't really have that much of a presence or a voice or any kind of impact on the movie. Apart from the last 10 minutes. And that's when you suddenly prick up your ears and you go, Oh shit, Elizabeth is still in this film. Oh yeah, because the fact is, you're sort of hoodwinked by it because she takes part in the fights. Like, she does have an active role in the fights and stuff like that. So you do get some of the sense that she's a strong female character, but it just needs to be her story. That's what I feel about it. Yeah, I thought that it was actually quite cool of the writers to have have Elizabeth ultimately be the person who kills Jack. I remember being surprised by that when we saw it in the cinema. Like yes, it was a good twist. I was surprised by that, yeah. And it was sort and the the big sort of grand noble send off for Jack where he gets swallowed by the Kraken, where he just goes into it with the sword. It was it was grand and everything. But again, a mo- a moment of attention like that for Jack. On the one hand it's avoidable because he's a favourite character, but it's like, did he need that? It it not really being his story, so to speak. Mm. The story is shanghaied away from it being about Elizabeth in the first one to then suddenly the last two films are essentially about Jack trying to obtain immortality. Yeah. Three of the films are about immortality because the fourth one's about Jack finding the fountain of youth. And going down another route to try and be immortal forever. Yeah, yeah. so it's like he's shanghaied the story, which I didn't... I don't know, I just don't like the, the direction of that. Yeah, I mean, the third and final film of this trilogy, it had some big threads to tie up and it needed to use all three of the main characters and that's Jack Sparrow, Will Turner and Elizabeth Swan in mm. the best way they could think of. And they, they ha- I think this film went on about half an hour too long and I got bored in areas and I got bored with certain characters in, in, in this. And Yeah, and as we mentioned before, the one thing they could have done for that was just cut out the entire island scene mm-hmm. with the cannibals. And, and then, then it the wouldn't, pacing would have been much better. It wouldn't. I think it would have actually been funny with that to say, you know when Jack just makes a, a beeline for land because he doesn't want to get eaten by the kraken? Mm. They could have like cut that down to about 10 minutes where Jack is like literally living as a farmer or something on like mainland America. And it's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm trying to avoid the Kraken. Yeah, but that would have made much more sense, wouldn't it? They like, they find him like, they like, like the Avengers find Thanos. Yeah, exactly. And it's like a cu- couple of funny jokes. Jack's just living the peaceful rural life. That takes about 10 minutes. And it's like, we didn't, we didn't need all that with the island. Jack Sparrow and Thanos having their little uh, farm. That's, that's a series <laughs> they, I'd like to see. Where they grow see. bunga bunga fruit or they what, grow, yeah, whatever yeah. it is Thanos is eating. No, do you know, they'd, they'd grow sugar cane. For rum. Uh, yeah. For rum. And again. Why is the rum? No slaves in this film. It's it's no. the awkward secret about the the era of piracy and merchant merchant shipping in that in era the Caribbean. That, that Disney are trying to hide. Yeah. No slaves. No slaves existed in this Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, ooh, ooh, yeah. Ooh. yeah. 
Never mind. Anyway, should we sign off there for now? Yes, on that sombre thought. So if you want to give us a follow, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and SoundCloud as Squabbling. And if you want to give us an email or a message to um, let us know what film you think we should interview next after we've completed the Pirates of the Caribbean original trilogy, then give us an email on squabblingspodcast at gmail.com. So we'll see you all soon, ladies and gents. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.